A big welcome to our More Foundation pod venture. This is our space where we will hear the life stories, insights and wisdom from members of our thriving community. You will get the opportunity to learn from their life experience and hear the moments in life that have helped shape them. Mo is a growing global community of change makers and builders. We provide lifelong learning support to our community, enabling them to make a positive change and impact in our world. To find out more about Mo Foundation, please visit our website www.mofoundation.com or find us on social media. We look forward to connecting and learning about you. In the meantime, enjoy the latest adventure. Okay, so welcome to the Mo Podcast. Um, and uh, today I'm really pleased to have Chloe Garland with us. So Chloe, welcome to the Mo Podcast. Thank you very much. So pleased to be here. So Chloe, as I shared with you before we uh, we came live onto the recording, is that, that part of what's different about the, the Mo Podcast is we want to track back from early beginnings um, just to kind of learn a bit about you and your life story and this is a beautiful way of uh, everyone within the Mo community and then also people that are interested beyond Mo community to learn about the incredible talent uh, and talented community that we have within Mo. So um, over to you, love to hear where did Chloe begin? Ah, Good question. Um, So you, you know you asked me this a little bit just before starting and so I suddenly reflected that I don't think I've been asked this question for, for a number of years. So it's been interesting to see what comes out. Um, so I had an incredibly blessed upbringing, I, I think. I uh, Very traditional mum and dad, brother, grew up in, in London, um, incredibly happy. And, and I was sort of on the cusp of the generation of technology, which is interesting in itself. Um, and I think we were kind of the last last age group to have quite a long childhood so only really getting mobile phones technology when we're kind of 15 which seems young still but at the time nowadays people have got it when they're nine or ten and I was always a how can I put this I think I always generally just followed the rules a lot you know I did very well at school I found school quite easy. I didn't find it particularly challenging. I found it easy. Not that I was very bright or intelligent. I just didn't get into trouble that much, you know, very much a rural follower. And I got on super well with my family and my brother. We are like friends uh, as much as we are family. I think the first extraordinary thing to ever happen to me and, and my brother was when I think I was in year seven or year eight, so I must have been 12 or 13, my parents, I came down to breakfast one day and my parents were giggling and at the breakfast table and I was like, what on earth is going on here? And they basically announced that they were taking us out of school, taking us out of school for six months and we're going traveling, we're traveling the world. Uh, at this point, my brother has a mini meltdown because I think he's sad about leaving his girlfriend. I think it's the best thing ever. But it was the first time I'd kind of like delineated from the norm. And so, and back then you could do that. I think nowadays it's um, it's very difficult. My dad just left a job. Uh, and so it was kind of the perfect time to do something like that. So that's what we did. I think about two or three months later, we, we were gone. Um, and we did the most extraordinary trip around South America. Um, we went to French Polynesia, China, Southeast Asia, New Zealand. And I struggled to know how, in what particular way that trip had an impact on me. But 
I just know that it was completely formative. And I got back and tried to integrate back into year seven as this, you know, person who wanted to talk about the history of Cambodia and all of these extraordinary things that I'd seen. And I found it very, very difficult to integrate back into normal life. And so then just kind of grew up again, sort of slipped back into following the rules. Um, My parents took us traveling a lot more and kind of went through A-levels again, got into being a prefect, got into being head girl, which was incredible, um, but sort of classic following the grooves of what was set out for me to do. And then my first failure, which was not quite getting into the university that I wanted to get into, I was supposed to go to Exeter. I think I needed three A's and got two A's and a B. And in my head, that was like, I think I missed my English grade by about two marks, which is what I was supposed to be studying. And yeah, in my head, it was a complete disaster. You know, this is it. But then on the day, decided to study philosophy at Nottingham. So complete U-turn and went straight off to study philosophy at Nottingham, which which turned out to be one of the most um, important experiences I think I've ever had. And, And my first glimpse of independence and also going out too much and doing the classic uni thing. Um, but I loved philosophy and I and I always say it kind of made and ruined my life because I started to question everything. And yeah, it really did change my life and met the most extraordinary people. I also came across something that I usually miss out when I'm talking about my story. But when I was in second year, I came across the incredible book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I do always say that Prior to then, I didn't really feel like I was awake at all or a conscious person. I just made decisions based on what other people were doing and what was the obvious path. And when I remember reading that book and it was such a visceral experience, I remember being quite emotional reading it, being like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And the major learning from that, if people haven't read it, is that you are not your thoughts, you know, the space where thoughts happen, which is what I say often at when I do mindfulness at the beginning of sessions now. And yeah, from then it kind of changed my life and I started to make better decisions. I went over to Uganda for a summer and traveled and worked, which was just extraordinary. And then we, I finished uni and then I went and, and traveled and worked in Central and South America, ending up doing equine therapy in Peru, um, which is where they use horses for the therapy of disabled children which was just absolutely incredible. And, and I got my results and did, I got a first in philosophy, which was extraordinary. Um, I was so, so proud of myself and all the work that I put in. And the one bit that I, I missed out was my first introduction to coaching. So when I was coming to the end of, of uni, I had no idea what it was that I wanted to do. Um, I mean, I really, really struggled to, to, to work it out. And um, it was a taboo subject in our household. And I think it was my dad who said, you know what, I've got a, I've got a, f- a friend who's a coach. And I was like, what on earth is coaching? And I went and had the most extraordinary two hour conversation with a gentleman called Roger Evans, who's remained a very good mentor and friend to me. And uh, I left that thinking, why on earth isn't this available to more young people? Um, because I left basically having such a better grasp on what was important to me, what I needed. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just knew what I, the, the ingredients that I needed in order to be satisfied. Um, and then I forgot about it and went traveling and, and came back and uh, fell into a job that um, was again, kind of what I was supposed to do. And after a few months realized, you know, I, I think I need to try and give this coaching thing a go. And that's when I set up 
uh, well, came into contact with Mo, uh, did Mo and uh, was like, yep, this is exactly, I think I was, it was Mark Bixter who was, who was the lead trainer and he had such a profound impact on me and seeing the way that he was with people and the way that he just was in general. And that sort of started the coaching story, quit my job and began quarter life. Fabulous. Well, there's so many different um, threads that I want to pick up and we will deep dive on quarter life in a minute. I just I just wanted to just pick up on a number of um, aspects of what you've shared so beautifully there. Um, so first off, I just really want to acknowledge, I mean, it's so wonderful to hear how loving and supportive your family are, because obviously in Mo, sometimes we come across people that have had the complete opposite experience that you've had, Chloe. So just so beautiful to hear that and also to hear how that's had such a positive impact on you even though you've been uncertain at times you've also had the self-esteem to go actually I'm going to give it a go um, and I'm going to try different things so first off just wanted to say that also great well done congratulations on the first uh, and at some point we'll pick up on philosophy because I'd love to kind of talk to you about that and I love existentialism and philosophy on a broader scale because I just think it plays into people questioning what it is to live, you know, people talked in the ancient philosophers talked about the good life, but Native Americans and uh, the indigenous tribes talk about how we we are integrated into and be part of Mother Earth, Gaia, uh, you know, and things like that. And I think you're probably already along those sorts of themes. So at some point, let's pick up on philosophy. Travel, though, when you think about traveling and going traveling, and I've done a lot of personal traveling as well, I share that sort of passion. What is it about traveling that that helps you to kind of look at your own life? I mean, the word that's often used, and it sounds like a bit of a cliche saying it, but it, but it, but is perspective. I think, especially having the incredible opportunity to go so young. I mean, I grew up in London, and London can be such a bubble. And there's a great saying, you can't be what you can't see. And I think when you grow up in one place, you only see a certain number of opportunities or life paths or opinions or point of views of how to live life how is the best and most meaningful way to live and when you have the privilege and the luxury to be able to because it is if you think about how long human beings have been around for international travel has been around for less than a blink of an eye and so the fact that we have been born in a time where we're actually able to do that it completely boggles my mind so you get to see that perspective. It's like stretching the fishbowl. You know, if you live in a fishbowl, you go traveling and you see other ways of living. And then that can therefore give you the insight into what might work for you. So I think it has to be about perspective and just meeting the people, the people that you meet. You hear what they do and how they exist and show up in the world. And so it just gives you so much more, so many more ingredients got lots of different metaphors it seems today but like there's only more ingredients of how to live a good life and what might work so I think it's that and I think I suppose another thing and I guess it's perspective in a different way is putting yourself in difficult situations and challenging yourself helps you explore parts of yourself that you didn't realize existed um, and it opens up whole new dimensions into what's possible and again it's like I can't remember where this metaphor was from um, but we all have a map of the world And when you travel or you meet people, your map grows. And when you have difficult experiences or challenging experience, again, it grows again. So I think it gives you a bigger surface area to understand yourself. And also 
it helps you understand what's possible because I, I mean I, I've done some ridiculous things when I've been traveling and outwardly probably seem quite dangerous and silly <laughs> looking back but it then gave me the confidence to realize that I, I can do those things. I traveled a lot of South America by myself and I'd never thought I could do that and so it challenges what you believe is possible for yourself so that then when it comes to the working world you think oh yeah well I can do this because I remember that one time where you know, I was lost in the middle of the jungle and I managed to find myself, find my way out or whatever, whatever it is. So it's, I think that as well, it's confidence, that sort of self-belief perspective. And when you challenge yourself, you know, you, you, you reveal more parts of, of who you are. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, whereabouts did you travel in South America? So I wanted to go from Mexico all the way down to Argentina, but only made it down to Peru because it's quite a large continent. <laughs> Um, and so I did all of, I did every country in Central America except for El Salvador and then did um, Colombia and uh, Peru. And I, cause I'd been to South America before with my family, but it had been sort of 15 years prior to that. And I just sort of fell in love with both Colombia and Peru. And then I think by the time I'd done a lot of traveling, it, I started to feel like it was all quite hedonistic because I wasn't really, it was all for me. It was a very ego driven, you know, thing. And I think I got to the point where I was like, I want to be part of a community. I want to live in one place for a while. So I spent that time in Tacna with the horses and learning a bit about equine therapy. I've been speaking to equine therapists all this week because I'm quite interested in the marrying of coaching and using animal-assisted therapy. So maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, I would say so a long time ago now. So it would be probably 12 or 13 years ago. I went to a spiritual horse coaching session. Wow. Where, where you're not allowed to speak, but you use um, your thoughts and energy to work with the horse, who are highly spirited animals, as we know. And um, it was fascinating because if I couldn't find a place where I was calm within myself, the horse would play it out. So uh, I think you're on a really fascinating track. And I, and I think it's definitely, you, you all know better than me because you've worked with children with it. I haven't, I've never done that. I think there's a huge space there. I think there's a, a lot to do. And I think you know, part of what we're passionate about in Mo is you'll start to see some of the things that are coming out is a return to nature. So how can we get young people and adults and parents to return to nature, which I think is one of the gifts of COVID, certainly been one of the gifts for me. Mm. How can we be part of, you know, getting more access to nature? So fascinating. Definitely. Um, so yeah, look forward to seeing what you do there. And I, I, I've got a whole bunch of people that I know that have got horses. So um, oh my gosh, you never know. So there you go. Just hold that thought. Come back to me and I'm sure I can uh, connect you up to some wonderful people. Brilliant. Incredible. Like I've traveled around South America. I've done South America. So I've done the, the Gringo Trail, you know, so Peru, Bolivia, Argentina, Chile, Chile, Argentina, sorry, and then the lower part of South um, Brazil. I did three months and it was just, it's stunning. The people there are stunning and, and similar to you, love travel for those reasons. So we could talk about traveling all day. However, I think where I want to move into is um, really lovely acknowledgement of Mark and, and really see that, um, you know, we get a lot of wonderful feedback about Mark and also all of the lead trainers in that. But I just wanted to, you said there about the way he was being with people. So what was it you were noticing at that moment about the way that Mark was being with people? Well, it was the first time I'd seen coaching. I mean, I, I'd been coached for that couple of hours with Roger a few years before. Um, and it was the first time I saw it. And I think I'm just trying to take myself back. I think we were in Brentford and I'm trying to put myself back in that room. And I think it was how okay he was with silence. I found it almost terrifying. <laughs> um, 
and how it was a completely different texture of experience of listening. I noticed immediately how he was there to listen to me and not to be heard. And that was something that I had never seen before because um, another one of my coaches, Aaron, who I've worked with for a year or so now, he always talks about, are you proving, are you improving? And I've got it on a sticky note actually behind my computer. And Mark was there to improve the person in front of him. He wasn't there to prove anything. And um, I think this is just part of his character as well. You know, he's just immeasurably empathetic and like a well of empathy and, and authenticity and just owning things that he didn't know and talking about things he did know with such spaciousness and such honesty and modesty as well. So I think it was, he wasn't there for himself. He was there genuinely to hear you. And I didn't know that at the time, but I could feel it. It was a feeling. I'm, I'm putting words into my experience now with hindsight. But at the, at the time, it was it was the way that it made me feel. There's a quote. I can't, what is it? You don't remember what people say, but you remember what the, how they make you feel. And I think that that's that's what I got from from that. I just felt so heard and so listened to. Like I was the most important person in the world in that moment, you know. And it just gave me that confidence to be able to talk about myself in a way that I'd never never done before, like how we're doing now. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, stunning. So thank you for that. I think there's so much to that. And then, so bounce forward from that. So you've 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 had the wonderful experience with Roger, and then you've gone back into career and gone, actually, I don't want to follow the rules anymore. I want to find my own way. Discovered Mo, had the Mo experience, and then, and you've got quarter life. You launched it at the same times by the sounds of it, if I've got the time scale right. So what year are we in now? So just take us to that time scale and then take us from there forwards. Okay. Um, I was actually thinking about this the other day because I think it was 2017 that I came across Mo. I think I graduated Mo in 2018, so I went over over Christmas. Um, and I basically was I live I lived at home or moved home at the time, and um, said to myself, right, I'm gonna try and give myself a year and see if 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 I can get this to work and and live at home for a year, which was a massive, massive privilege in itself, because not many people were able to, to do that, then I would continue. And if I wasn't making enough money to sustain myself, then I would get another job and do this on the side. Um, and so I, I did I did another training course uh, in 2018, but my goodness, it was, it was all very slow. I mean, I, I just didn't know at all what I was doing and I was just kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck. But what I did do in that year that I am so grateful for myself for having done was just the fearlessness of meeting people. And again, I wonder if this kind of connects with traveling alone, having those experiences where I had to meet people that I didn't know. I mean, the first time I had to do sort of, I didn't even know it was networking at the time. It was just literally just meeting people because I was curious about them. I was terrified. I was still scared, but I, I had the self-esteem and self-confidence to do it because I had done it in the past. And that's how we grow confidence is repetition as, as well as what we say to ourselves. And so that first year, I would just tirelessly be going out and having coffees. And I was so blown away by how supportive people were and how people were offering their mentorship. And I, a few people turned down when I asked them to be mentors, but that's part of the process but had some really, really fantastic mentorship uh, along the way. So yeah, that would be my kind of first year, if that gives you a bit of a time scale. Yeah. 
So why don't you talk to us about the sort of core ideology, philosophy that sits at the heart of quarter life for you mm. at that time, or, and maybe now it's developed as you've faced into the reality of life and life has helped shape you. So what was the underpinning philosophy and ideology that you were sort of playing with? It's really interesting because I found one of my old notebooks that I wrote and I used it to write um, all of my ideas down in Mo and before and I could see myself designing my logo and all this kind of thing. And some of the philosophies have stayed really constant throughout the whole thing. And, and I think two things come to mind when, when you ask me that question. The first one, I always say that I don't really know specifically what my purpose is in life, but I know that it's something about helping people become more conscious, helping people become more conscious of themselves, of the way that they work, of the nature of their mind. And I suppose this is kind of informed by reading Eckhart Tolle of how, you know, you, again, you are not your thoughts. And I think they say that sort of 95% of our actions are just autopilot actions and that you have to really make an effort to make conscious choice but the first stage of that comes from self-awareness so I truly believe that it all comes down to self-awareness and understanding who you are and being able to reflect because that can help you make better choices it can help you be a better person so I think that's been the thing that has stayed the most constant but it's all about self-awareness it's all about self-consciousness and being more conscious of yourself the thing that has changed And I noticed this because it's changed in me also. At the beginning, I was very much, you got to have a plan. You got to have a vision. And another of my mentors, Debbie, um, she's, who's brilliant. She recently said, you know, I really mistrust the word clarity because I always go to asking for clarity. She's like, I really don't really trust people who are always asking for clarity. And, um, And that was something that I would go to every single coaching session with every single mentoring session. I've got to know what's what's this business going to look like what's the end goal here and it's very you know I think that's that comes from education doesn't it we always know what the end result is so that's sort of been drilled into me growing up and again kind of like following the rules and so my coaching was all about right what's the end point you've got to have a plan you've got to have clarity a clear vision whereas now it seems to have completely shifted the other way and Somebody said this word to me recently, and I thought it really captured the way that I'm trying. I'm trying to show up in the world, which is about living in an emergent way. So rather than having a specific goal and swimming to that specific goal, it's actually far more taking things as as they come. Somebody that has had a huge impact, or just a friend of mine, who's had a huge impact on my life, talks about pulling the thread. You know, if, if life's like a wool, you just pull the threads of your curiosity and follow those curiosities and wonder where they lead and I think that there's a great bit of work actually written by Hunter S. Thompson who's unusual an unusual philosopher and it's called his monumental letter and he wrote it when he was 23 and I highly recommend reading it it's only two or three pages long and he talks about how we seek to understand the goal this is the greatest issue with how people are living their lives is that we seek to understand the goal rather than the man and if we pursue just goals by the time we reach them, they're useless because we've changed. <laughs> so it's funny, I'm saying this now, but when I listen to this back, maybe in two months, two years, it might be all completely rubbish. But so that's the second thing that's an ideology or philosophy that's changed is that I used to be very much, right, what's the plan? What's the clarity? Whereas now it's about embracing uncertainty and embracing not knowing, embracing chaos, understanding yourself and 
picking up the opportunities as if they were threads as they come. Because I think that a lot of the people who come to me, the first thing that they say, I just want clarity. I want a clear direction. And I'm sure that they would all agree. Well, well, a few of them would agree when leaving coaching, when they finish quarter life, they actually start to think, actually, you know, I don't need, I don't need to know. Or I'm, I'm actually all right where I am. Or they've, you know, decided to completely change direction, which is great too. But it's, it's with a lightness rather than a heaviness of I have to know because that's what success is. So, yeah, so those are the two things that come to mind. Yeah, wonderful. And so, so for you personally, that lightness of being, as I've heard it described, you know, and, and following that thread, what does that mean for you then with quarter life and your life? We'll come back to some of the practical things, but I think let's stick with a philosophical sort of journey at the moment that you're expanding. Yeah. What does it mean for me? I, do you know what? It's kind of ironic because coaching is about thinking and reflecting, but it's also, I think for me, what that means for me is it's following your intuition and not thinking about it too much. <laughs> um, there was a fantastic training I went to two years ago by a guy called Dr. Joel Voss, and he was a meaning-centered therapist, and his therapy branches from Viktor Frankl and logotherapy, and it's really, really, really fascinating. And he said, there's two ways you can be. You can be in the world, existing and not thinking about it and just in flow, or you can be being on the outside looking in. Both are important. And when we're coaching, a lot of the time we're outside looking in, thinking back and reflecting on our lives. And that's important at certain milestones in your life. It's helpful to be on the outside looking in, but only so much of it. Otherwise, we lose our intuition and we lose our gut feelings and we get stuck in analysis paralysis. So for me, it's about recognizing the feeling that I get when I come across a thread. Um, and not thinking about it too much. There's a great, also another, sorry, I feel like I'm quoting all over the place, which isn't particularly useful, but everyone I've coached will be bored of me saying this. It's a Kierkegaard quote that I've remembered from philosophy. And he says, leap of faith, yes, but only after reflection. So this understanding there will always be a leap of faith, but you can reflect a little bit to make sure you're leaping in a direction that at least feels aligned with who you are. And I suppose that in a way kind of sums up the philosophy of quarter life really Maybe I should put that more on my website. <laughs> um, leave of faith, yes, but only after reflection. And, and you know, just picking up on Power of Now, which is I love Eckhart Tolle's work and read most of them and sort of just listened to a wonderful podcast with him and I think it was Oprah Winfrey just the other day. Yeah. You know, and I love the sound of Joe's work um, that you just shared there um, and logotherapy. I mean, I think most coaches would have picked up on, on that incredible work and um, some of the inserts there. But when you think about that, you know, be in the flow and then you know, looking from the outside, you as a coach, like you're doing and being as a coach, that whole whole you as a coach, mm. how has that matured and developed and, and how is it maturing and developing you? And, and again, you know, I've written a lot about the journey to mastery and excellence in life and coaching. And I think, you know, Sir John Whitmore taught me a very long time ago, you know, mastery is something you never reach. It's always, you know, you look to attain it and there's always another thing to learn. So just to share with you sort of the sense and, and my own experience of that, but you, from your perspective with who you are right now here, uh, how is that influencing the way you show up as a coach? Hmm. I was going to echo the same thing about you just, you, you're never there. You don't ever get there. And I think as soon as you start letting go of that, this, uh, this is what I'm noticing with my coaching. And also I go through massive cycles with my coaching of some months feeling 
really confident with it and other months completely losing confidence so so it's a it feels like quite a cyclical thing so yeah it's it's the understanding that you're never there and and when you let go of that I think that's when you create more space and what I'm noticing or, or noticing in myself as I'm sort of maturing and I say that you know I've only been doing it for four years <laughs> um for maturing as a as a coach is that I am doing less um at the beginning it was all about right what can how do I do these it all feels incredibly clunky but I think how it's showing up is, it, is I'm doing less and I'm also trusting more what comes out because you know you have those and this doesn't happen every single time but you do have those extraordinary experiences as a coach when there's two people engaging in a space and something comes out of your mouth and you don't even know where it comes from. And so it is, it's like, yes, you are reflecting and you are, you're right. So you're, you are in and also out of the flow because you're, the, the content of what you're talking is out looking in, but the experience is, is, is flow. So it's doing less and it's also trusting that what will come out you know, will, will be helpful. And if it's not helpful, that's, that's also okay. I think as well, um, being okay to say the wrong thing that's something that I've learned in supervision recently which is just like such such an important part of being a coach having a supervisor is that I ironically I was doing a whole training last week for this company I'm working with about confidence and imposter syndrome and I went into that thinking I think I'm all right with imposter syndrome I don't think I experienced that and I brought up this one thing with my supervisor saying I get a bit flustered sometimes when I don't know what to say get a bit stressed get a bit flustered and um we kind of unpicked it and unpicked it and basically I realized I didn't want them to think that I didn't know what to say and I and I just completely didn't realize that that's what I was doing so it was just another uh, experience where I learned gosh it's actually okay and sometimes you won't have anything to say and it's not about what you have to say it's about the space that you're creating and the more that you try and fill that space actually the more you're taking away from the other person I hope that answered your question. I think I went on about three different tangents there. <laughs> I think it's really, really beautiful. And uh, I look forward to hearing in a couple of years, um, you know, where else the edge of your experience and learning is, because I think there's a lot to learn with that. So just um, one of the things that I know, because obviously I, I sit back and watch what's going on in the world, I've noticed that you've started to build your team. And I'm going to come back to quarter life practicality at the moment. So I'm joining going forwards and bring you back to some of that thing. But how have you found it? You know, you, you, you've said a number of times, um, I've only been in it four years, et cetera, et cetera, which is actually like, from my experience, it's immaterial because um, I've been in the world of coaching for 20 years and I've been very fortunate to be mentored by incredible people. And what they taught me was that some people have just got it. They know it in the muscle. And then others like me, you just have to learn and develop it. And it sounds to me like you just know it in the muscle. You've just got it. You know, you, there's a natural alignment to who you are as a person. Hmm. Um, so I just wanted to give you that gift to kind of contemplate. And the other thing I've noticed you doing is that you've become sort of successful and you are being successful and your work is being really respected and appreciated and you've started to build a team. So how are you finding that? First of all, thank you for saying that. I just it feel, it feels very much like something I'm learning, you know, so it's nice to hear that as feedback. Thank you. It's incredibly humbling to be able to build a team and to have associate coaches. Um, you'll notice that my team is incredibly mo heavy. <laughs> um, so I have Robin, Kat, Jeffrey, Mark, and to be able to bring those people who have been such important parts of my journey. I mean, Mark being the lead trainer, Jeffrey, I think if he was my assessor, 
Kat who's just continually just been support, so supportive throughout my whole, actually Anne was one of my trainers, I've learned with her before, Robin I've done some work with. So it's humbling because for them to have said yes in the first place was was incredible. I think I remember Kat put, put it on her LinkedIn to say she was working at Quarter Live. She'd know what a, what a significant moment that was for me because I look up to her, I look up to all of them so, so much. It very much is a feels like a team, although we haven't had the chance to work with each other like a huge amount. It's just some, one of my first projects that started six months ago. You know, we've got a WhatsApp group, which is just so exciting. So I think I think the word that I describe it is humbling and really just enjoyed sharing stuff on our on our group and, and checking in and seeing how things are going. I think in the future, it's something that I'm going to derive a lot of pleasure from one day, you know, having a permanent team because in the moment it's associates. So I, so I bring. All, all my great team together where, like as and when but you know one day to have like a mini culture it would just be just I think that would be phenomenal I'm smiling just thinking about it uh to be able to all work together and for one specific goal because I've, I've worked by myself always yeah no it's bringing me a lot of I'm feeling a lot of lightness and joy just talking about it well, I love the sense that you just shared there. And again, I'll challenge mini culture and just say, yeah, yeah, true. Go expansive. <laughs> so, you know, it sounds like you're, you are all co creating a wonderful sort of shared learning and shared experience. And I'm a big fan of WhatsApp, like you are, because I think it's a nice way to kind of keep in contact with people. So, yeah. So, what are some of the gifts that's bringing to you as, you as you're developing and growing beyond the team? But that experience, like you were sharing there, that, you know, you're learning every moment. So what are some of the gifts that you being part of that team and also being the phrase I use is first among equals. So, you know, as a leader, my role is often to be behind the scenes and to be hidden. I don't need to be on top of people. I need to be behind and supportive. And I I get that sense listening to you. You get that sense of deep collaboration. And and you said actually something quite important because you said I look up to all of them, which says to me that you actually see yourself as sitting behind and understanding. And, And I think that's a really interesting that's a that's a that's the polar opposite of the parent-child model that actually gets reinforced in organisations and in life, you know. And you're sat behind and learning with. So I just wondered, I wanted to just kind of tease out what what you're seeing as some of those additional learnings and gifts. Sort of going back to the, what we said about travel is is about perspective and and hearing people that you admire's different perspective can only make what you do richer. Mm-hmm. Um, and having the diversity of, of opinion. I mean, what's one thing that I I do is when I go into an organization, I will do surveys, I'll speak to a lot of the young people under 30s that work there, and I'll write everything down in like a big old document. And then I will give that to one of my team to go over. So because by that point, I will have come up with my judgment of what's going on in the company or what's going on in the organization. And that might start to form a bit of a narrative. But sometimes that narrative, as we all know, can be completely off the mark. So I'll get somebody in my team to look over all of that data and to see, right, okay, well, what do you think? So that I can get their perspective on on what that might look like. So it's differing perspective and being able to ask people's insights into what they think would be the best plan of action, you know, rather than, I suppose I get this from coaching, but rather than telling, I usually lead any conversation we have with questions because I, I genuinely want to know what they think. Um, and what their point of view is so I think it's that it's that gift of of perspective and collaboration is is just so so powerful 
and support, you know, having just having support. I think it was a conversation I had with Kat and when I was hearing some of the things that she worries about when she's coaching, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're worrying about this. They call it, because I was doing this training about imposter syndrome, there's something, a term I learned called pluralistic ignorance. And it's a brilliant term. And it basically what it means is how we are all ignorant to everybody else's struggles, um, but very aware of our own. And that's what creates imposter syndrome because we basically compare our inner lives with the outer lives of others. Um, and so being in a team of coaches is so unbelievably healthy because um, we all share and my team are all very, very modest and share their difficulties. And it's it's been a real boost to my self-esteem and my confidence for sure. Beautiful, beautiful. So now let's land, you know, we've, we've kind of danced around quite a lot of the sort of wisdom and insight and experience and philosophy and ideology and culture that you are very evidently proud to be part of with that collective team. Um, so talk now about quarter life. What was, what was it originally, you know, practically terms, so from a coaching and broader perspective, and what is it now, three, four years on? So what it was originally and what success looked like for me when I first started was having a, a, a thriving one-to-one coaching business specifically focused on helping under 30s with their career choices because that was my story with coaching and it had such a profound impact on me that I was like, right, I want to do this for, for lots of other people. I was met with quite a lot of, lot of reservations from people who I thought I should get some serious professional experience or something that I heard quite a lot before, before I got into coaching and before I attempted to start my own business, which was very sensible advice, really. <laughs> uh, but I didn't listen. And so that was my my goal. And that's how it sort of started very slowly as coaching people of similar age or in their 20s, who, or maybe just left university graduating. And that was the kind of the farthest reach of my imagination was working, just having a, a one-to-one coaching, but not not just having a one-to-one coaching business. And it happened, it, it grew. Uh, to, it took, I'd say, 18 months for it to become sustainable, so longer than I initially uh, thought it would. And I started to work with universities. I, I partnered with a university called the New College of Humanities, um, and they really really went out on a limb I, I'm forever grateful for them because I met the most incredible head of careers there he's not there anymore but I called Matthew and I went in and sort of sort of pitched him my idea pitched him quarter life and said look this is what I'm doing and I, and I literally just reached out to him cold through the internet and he gave me the time of day and he believed in me and he started sending me clients young people at the university and for me, it was such a big deal because um, NCH was founded by a man called Professor AC Grayling, who I actually studied at that uni. And I remember going in and doing my coaching and meeting him and just any ounce of intellect that I had accrued up to that point disappeared. <laughs> um, and I was so busy trying to prove myself. I didn't I think I listened to a single word he said, which is a shame, but, but it was such a wonderful experience. And so I started doing a little bit of that. And from that kind of springboarded me to working with other universities I signed up to an incredible company called Inside Knowledge, where they basically provide career skills and soft skill development and future proofing skills into schools. And so they were fantastic because I learned how to present to a group of 15 year olds, which I think is one of the hardest <laughs> groups of people to present to, you know, 50 of them crammed into one room pre-COVID. And so I started to do that kind of thing. I then started to also work with 
organizations who support kids from disadvantaged backgrounds. So working for a company called Urban Scholars, which is one of my favorite parts of what I do. And they help kids from low income backgrounds from West London between the ages of about 14 and 18. It's a three year intervention program. And I go in and do coaching for them and training. So I was basically doing lots of different stuff is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, although I started as a one to one coaching practice, kind of ended up doing quite a lot of training and and I grew and grew and grew. And then it all changed, I suppose, a year and a half ago when I was doing a bit of work for a startup called Fledgelink, and they suggested that I join an accelerated program. And an accelerated program is basically a program which helps small businesses grow. And I had this idea of bringing coaching into the tech space, bringing coaching online and delivering it at a scale to organizations, but specifically to Gen Z or millennials, you know, under 30s within companies to help them retain, develop, support their young people with what I believe is one of the best uh, things in the world, aka coaching. And I went and did this incredible year-long course. And, you know, they give you an office. It's sponsored by Deutsche Bank. And they gave an office and mentorship. That's how I met Debbie, who's one of my mentors now. And went through this incredible cohort. We had workshops every week about getting funding because I would have to create like a platform, a digital platform. And through actually mentoring with Debbie, I realized that it's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go down the kind of acceleration of my business and, and moving into tech because it was actually taking me further away from why I started it in the first place. And Debbie helped me navigate a bit of shame, I think, with that because I thought that's what I should be doing. And I had to really evaluate, was that coming from fear or was it coming from love? And it was coming from love um, in terms of like, I wanted for things to be slower. I wanted things to be smaller. So I left that with still with the idea of bringing coaching into organizations, but wanted to just do it in a different way. And like most things that seem to happen in life, when you become very clear and behind your goals, um, usually opportunities start popping up. And it was really at the beginning of COVID that I, I got reached out to by my first, one of my first organizations, uh, Henry, who's the CEO of a PR, sports PR agency called Pitch, wanting to find some more support and development for his under 30s at the organization. And so I created Quarter Life for Companies off the back of that. And the whole thing is about, as I say, supporting, developing young people, bringing coaching, which is usually for senior executives, CEOs to the younger generations. And it's been so much fun and so brilliant. And I've, I've loved it. I'm learning so much. And I'm now working with two other organizations off the back of that, which is yeah, challenging, rewarding, stretching <laughs> for sure. And so I have both parts of the business still. So I've still got my one-to-one quarter life for individuals and then quarter life for companies, which, yeah, which is fascinating. Incredible. Yeah. And it's and it's so wonderful to hear you actually living and breathing that follow your intuition, follow emergence, which I think absolutely, you know, more and more of us are starting to realise. I'm seeing it as I look out across social media is, again, without diving into COVID, I interviewed Mark Wynn. So you'll get to hear Mark Wynn talk about it. And Mark in the Mo podcast talks about COVID as the great pause, mm. which is beautiful. We've had some music created about that as well, which you'll get to see soon. Um, and that is because I think what I'm seeing, and I'd love to hear what you're seeing, is I'm seeing people see it as an existential opportunity. Originally, people were talking about the existential crisis. And now more and more people are seeing it as an existential opportunity. So I'd love you to kind of 
if you're seeing anything now or what your experience is around that? Yeah, I was actually reading up on this today about how specific, because I'm very into, interested in, in under 30s and people in their 30s, that kind of generation, specifically how COVID has impacted their wants, dreams, hopes, expectations for their lives. And you know, my, my business is Quarter Life, which is based off the term the quarter life crisis, um, which I describe as an existential crisis, a moment in your life where suddenly you start to think quite philosophically and sometimes for the first time ever about, God, what do I want from my life? And what is the meaning of it? What's the point of being here? And I think during COVID, people have been propelled into that. And I know it's happened to me. And anecdotally, I know it's happened to so many of my friends just speaking to people on the weekend. You know, everybody's quitting their jobs. Everyone's moving to the countryside. I'm moving to Barcelona. So, we're, I mean, we're all just wanting something different. I did a, a survey at the height of COVID. I think it was the height of the second wave or the first, I can't remember. And it's about 250, 260 people between the ages of 18 and 30 about how COVID has changed what you want from your careers. And it was like 85% I said it's drastically changed what they're looking for. And it's a deep change of values or or maybe not deep change, a deep realization of values, a chance for people to be more conscious of what's important to them. I suppose it then just has left the question of people saying, right, how do I do this? How? COVID has been the what. And then now it's about, right, how can I make this happen? So I would completely agree. And the great pause has led to the, the great realization. Beautiful. That's fantastic. And that research that you've um, you've conducted, are you actually, are you sharing that? Because it sounds really like you're onto something very insightful for organisations, because I think the other great thing is some people like to criticise organisations. I don't personally take that view. I think they're, you know, like any human being, they're on a journey as well. So how have you been or are you using that information to influence young people and then also to influence people like Henry Mm. to help them to kind of create the environments that young people want? Yeah, well, I think from Henry's perspective, he's been incredibly forward looking. We sort of signed the contract during COVID and he was really looking forward and thinking, God, there's going to be there's going to be some issues after this finishes, not that it's finished um, or is finishing. And people are going to want different things and need different things. And again, it's a sort of an emergent thing that's happened. Something that's come out of the work that I'm doing with organizations is like this sort of relaying of the values of the younger generation with senior leadership, relaying that information. And, you know, I say what younger people are looking for as if I am the voice of the entire generation and everybody is different, every everyone is different but there are there are themes emerging and themes within organizations and from being there from me being there and and being of a similar age I've always found this is that people have been able to open up to me and I'm able to empathize and so it creates a very open dialogue and when I do these surveys and gather information and feed it back anonymously with their permission it means that Henry and, and the senior leadership can gain some of that insight as it changes and the question I'm trying to ask myself, and Henry and I were talking about on Friday, actually, was like, what creates loyalty? And I, I oh, I just remembered also, I, I quoted you, Darren, about one of the conversations we had years ago. And you said to me something I'll never forget, that when somebody joins an organisation that you're working in or, or running, you know, you say, I know you're not going to stay here forever. I don't expect you to, because that's not how the world of work is. 
but I would like to keep here for as long as possible. So what is it that you want from your career? And in doing that, that gives somebody everything that they need because it's giving them space. It's giving them care. I use that anecdote with Henry and he was really interested in that because I think with loyalty, we can't expect people to be loyal forever. That's not that's just not how the world looks. We have uh, squiggly careers, as Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis would say, but we can listen. I suppose if I could describe what I do now, it's almost like I'm an ear. <laughs> I'm a big ear that listens to the under 30s in, in companies and relays that in a non-judgmental, anonymous way. Because it, when there's a hierarchy in the business, it's very difficult for people to speak up and tell people what they want. Even if you are a coach as a CEO, you know, it's just being in a hierarchy makes it hard. So I think what I've realized from being there, and again, I didn't set out for this to be the case. It's just sort of happened. I think from being in these companies, I'm able to be that ear so that kind of like pathways of communication can open up. Beautiful. So one of my, um, one of the phrases I love is um, Steve Jobs often says, you know, you can't always join the dots looking forward. You can only join them as you look back. Mm. So when you start to do that, you know, what are some of those large dots or key moments as we would call them that you go I'm so glad I made that decision Hmm. what a lovely question um I'm very glad well actually you know what I'm grateful for this every single day and this is this is a fairly obvious one but I am unbelievably glad and bemused by my younger self to decide to start quarter life and just to go down that path The further I get away from it, the further I am so grateful and compassionate, my naive younger self. And I use naive, again, from from a place of compassion because naivety, I think, can be the most powerful thing because we're not aware of what we're getting ourselves into. Whereas now, I think as you get older, you become privy to all of the challenges and difficulties of things that can go wrong. And it's a bit like if you go skiing when you're four, you just bomb down the slopes, but then you go again when you're 14 and you're, you're much more aware. And then when you're 24, you're, you're like Bambi. So I think that would be the thing that, that, God, I'm so glad I made that decision. I think the second one would be, I'm very pleased I made the decision not to go at scale back then it would have taken me down a very very different path and taken me away from as I say why I got into coaching in the first place I got into coaching because you know I had that experience with Roger but also I just really love talking to people and I've always loved talking to people and moments where I feel so in touch with that sense of flow is when you engage with somebody on that level of that feels superhuman you know when you're engaging and they're feeling it too and it's like a real palpable vibe so I'm really pleased that I trusted my gut when I did that I like to do things in threes so I'd like to have another one but I don't think I I don't think I do I think what might be one is maybe moving to Barcelona but I know I haven't done it yet I'm three weeks away (laughs) so maybe in three weeks I'll let you know if it's another dot wonderful no absolutely fascinating to hear you track through your life from you know beautiful loving family setups and somebody that for whatever reasons you know was somebody that loved to follow the rules or thought she loved to follow the rules then you you used a beautiful phrase way back when I've got to go back through my notes because I just want to try and find it and you said to me actually pre this conversation you said I was born at university Mm. so what did that mean for you you were born at university 
it was when I honestly when I read The Power of Now it was genuinely like that was um and I I kind of like have a sort of an inner cringe when I say that and I don't know why I think it's because so many people have read that book and then had a similar uh, similar experience but it just it was like I got a different dimension into my experience yeah a different texture and I started to make more conscious decisions with what I wanted to do and I think even going to Uganda for that summer was was a massive massive moment and it was like I like this example it's like the tram became a car so I was following the grooves of what was set out for me like everything uh, I think we all do that to some respect and we could get into a whole argument here about determinism which I'm not going to go down I'm not going to go into but uh, but I, I think I then just basically became self-agent. And it's funny because even my memories as a pre-second year of uni, I just felt like it's like a different person. It's really odd. I cannot explain it. I've got the memories of it, but I, it felt like a, a different person because I engaged with my mind in a different way. And I was my thoughts. I was very, very much living reactively whatever came to mind I would do or whatever and, and then suddenly I read that book and it was a slow it also it was a slow unfolding and there was a year where I completely forgot about it so it, it's not like oh my god I read that book and that was it but but I very much recognize it and I remember it like it was yesterday I remember exactly where I was and weirdly it took me ages to finish it like it was a funny thing because you'd expect me to read it twice in a night but it's like I was only handling it in bite-sized chunks because that's all I could handle so I really feel like that was yeah, that was like a, that was almost like I was born. <laughs> it's funny thinking about, I haven't thought about it for years. Yeah, no, it's lovely. It's really interesting because again, um, I also love, um, you know, the new, he's new earth. Yeah, beautiful. What's so fascinating for me is that I've got, I'm a walk-in library, both virtually and physical library at home. And I pick those books up and I go back through them and I always learn something new because I've changed, you know, something within me has changed. So I think it's really interesting with, with incredible work and isn't it fascinating, you know, Eckhart Tolle, the first two letters of his name, but anyway, he is, you know, incredible wisdom that he has. I just want to come back to something you just said there, because you use a really interesting metaphor, a travel metaphor. So, because what I wanted to ask you is, so then post-university, you went into the corporate world, decided actually, that's not for me. And then you started your journey. I want to be a one-to-one coach. And now it sounds to me like you've, mm. you've actually become someone that is, I'm co-creating a culture and an ethos and an organization. So now when you think about who you are today, are you, you're no longer a tram. Mm -hmm. Are you still a car or, you know, what metaphor would you use to describe you right now? Mm. I think I am a car, but I think I would like to be something more agile, kind of going cross country. Maybe I'm a four wheel drive. (laughs) Going a bit more cross-country um, and not being afraid because cars still have to stick to roads, don't they? But they have a bit more flexibility, but maybe it's like a, a skidoo. <laughs> and that's from one of my favourite songs, actually. A skidoo, I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, it's more of a skidoo going off-piste. But I have to say, my default is tram and all of our defaults are tram. So even when I do skidoo, <laughs> hopefully it's still following, um, even when I do skidoo, it still feels unnatural because you know I I still feel like I want to go down the path of least resistance and of ease or that sticks in one's comfort zone but you know through my own coaching my coach currently Aaron who's again huge um, impact on me he 
gets me to look at my peak experiences in life. It really was one of those big things is I had to go through all of my peak experiences and it was all the same stuff. And it was all, and if that's somebody's first introduction to coaching, like peak experience exercise is brilliant. And I just went through and it was all the same stuff. And it was all times that I had taken risks. And that kind of helped me realize that one of my core values was around courage. And courage to me means spontaneity and adventure and taking risks and freedom. They all kind of mean a similar, it's all got the same sort of feeling to me. Although I'm, I'm slightly a walking oxymoron because my other core value is around peace and mindfulness and balance. And so I do live that kind of dichotomy of like, okay, let's be spontaneous. Now let's get some balance. Let's be spontaneous and courageous. And then let's get some peace that you can't be truly balanced all the time, but it really helps guide me because I'll usually realize if, if I'm unhappy or, you know, something's out of kilter there. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. And I, and I look forward to finding out in a couple of years, you know, how it's morphed and changed as it, as it naturally, naturally will do. I think also I want to acknowledge it because Obviously, I've been very privileged over the last 20 years to support and also work with thousands of different coaches. And it's really wonderful to hear um, someone who's saying, actually, I'm not just driving for growth. I'm actually driving to do something that really matters to me. And, and on my terms, which for me is life less ordinary, which is we all have that option to live a life less ordinary. So I just wanted to acknowledge that because I think it's I find a lot of people, as they've developed through their coaching career and their portfolio career, because often their portfolios, they come to a similar conclusion and you're already there. Like, I think I just want to acknowledge that. And it's just, you know, what are some of the insights? And I know you're not quite at Barcelona and you you will be able to share more insights about that. But that that sounds like a courageous moment to me, like where you're going, actually, that's where I want to go and experience life right now. And, and I think I can do it, even though it sounds like, if I've got it right, a lot of your work is here in the UK. Yeah. So there's a boldness to that and a courageousness to that. So what is it that's kind of tipped you over the edge beyond the values you've just shared? Probably COVID. Probably being in a situation where your choices have been taken away from you. And I've always wanted to live abroad. It's always something that, but it's like, you know, let's delegate this to future me. And I think that life is too precious it's just too precious to put stuff like this off and there's never a good time I think it's what one of her friends said to me I was like you know I always go oh you know when the time's right I'll go which basically means I'm never going to go never going to do it and you know my, my partner's in London as well so it, and he's an actor so he has to stay he has to be here and a lot of my work is here but I just feel like you know, but one day it might be, oh, well, I've got kids, so I can't do it. Or one day oh, I've got this big project, so I can't do it. So I'm looking at it from a perspective of it's, there's a, yeah, there's never a right time. And, and in a way, this is the right, you know, it's never going to be easier for me to do something like this. And also, again, something Aaron's helped me see this is like, it's not just black and white. You don't just go and then you can never come back. <laughs> you know, life is wiggly and we can come back if we want to. If it doesn't work out, that's that's absolutely fine. And so I think it's just knowing that nothing is nothing is set in stone. And that's kind of given me a lot more freedom with this choice, a lot more flexibility rather than, right, this is a massive thing and I'm going to have to be there forever. And it's like, no, I'll just go see how it works and uh, come back if, if it's not working out. But again, it's another, I suppose, I, said, um, I think it's James Clear talks about this, like voting towards the person you want to be or the person that you are. And you know, the person that I, I would like to be in person who I hope I am is somebody who does make these courageous decisions and who 
kind of gets a kick out of doing things like gets a kick out of being the skidoo because I think my natural tendency is to go down down the track and and I I think I'm just doing it to maybe prove myself a little bit (laughs) wonderful I don't know why but I've got a winged skidoo in my mind as you say that so I just thought I'd share that with you yes great even better even more freedom (laughs) yeah so I mean there's so many different avenues that we could kind of pick up because there's so much wisdom and insight that you've gathered and and separately we'll pick that up because I'd love to find a way to other ways for you to kind of share some of the wisdom and lessons that you're experiencing um, because I know the Mo community are going to have a thousand questions listening to this. Mm -hmm. So when you think about joining the dots backwards and the fact that you when you think about your identity now Chloe do you see yourself as a business owner an entrepreneur you know how do you self-identify? Do you know what I've I have been trying to this is a question that I have been trying to work out recently because we're entering back into social situations where people ask you what you do and you know tell me about you or whatever and I'm not gonna lie I really struggle because I say a coach first and foremost a coach life coach doesn't quite fit with what I do career coach doesn't fit with what I do so I'm really really trying to figure it out and I want I'd like to find a succinct way to describe I don't like having to find a succinct way to describe it but I feel like I do I do need one for practical reasons as well as kind of like personal reasons yeah I I wish I had a better answer (laughs) okay so interesting let's let's use some of the things you've said here today so just for a second um give yourself a minute and just follow go into your intuition and what rebounds from within yourself? It's nice to say I am the founder of Quarter Life, you know, and not qualify that in any way. And Quarter Life is an organisation that helps under thirties people in their in their twenties or in their thirties be more conscious of their choices, whether that's as an individual or in an organisation. And therefore, you know, live more fulfilling lives. It's something like that. It's, it's you know, the founder of Course Life and, and what that does, because that will be met with lots of questions as well. well. What do you mean? But that's never a bad thing. Because, if you know, if we go back to what I feel like my purpose might be aligned to, it is about helping people be more conscious. Because that's been my journey of through all the amazing people that have, I've had the pleasure to work with. That's all it's been. It's just deepening your layers of awareness and understanding and that's what I hope to do with quarter life so that other people can have the same to be more mindful I need to finesse that <laughs> sounds like there's something wonderful to play with there I think there's a huge amount yeah. and we're not in a coaching session here but afterwards I'll um, <laughs> very happily kind of share some observations Please. and uh, you have six pages of a3 to go through as well just so <laughs> you know um hopefully Great. there'll be some some uh, wisdom in there for you so when you start to package all it up where you are today knowing 2021 so you know when we talk again whether that be two years five years ten years whenever it'll be your life journey and your organizational journey would have changed and you'll learn more what are some of your top tips the things that you want to leave with the Mo community and beyond the Mo community to say listen if I could give you absolutely like the well thought through best pieces of wisdom and insight that I can right now or philosophy that I can right now what would be those one, two, or three points that you'd love to make? Mm. Oh. oh, it's so hard. Okay. Ask for insight, not advice. So 
I talk about how what has been absolutely instrumental of being able to build quarter life has been through meeting people, you know, constantly being curious, curious, oh, that's another thing, being curious. And I think this is all wrapped up in the same point, but being curious and following that curiosity by speaking to people and learning about people and asking for lots of insight and understanding what other people do, but not taking it as advice because... I think I've said before, like, don't ask, don't get too much advice. That's something I did at the beginning, because that can then cloud your intuition and what, what's right for you in that moment. So ask for insight, not advice, and follow your curiosity by, by meeting people. Take time to evaluate whether your decisions are coming from you or coming from what is expected of you, whether that's your family, your parents, or your society, or the society that you've grown up in. Just take time, whether that's through getting your own coach or just asking yourself some key questions. I talked about the peak experience exercise. That's just one of the best things that you can do to really make sure if you're making a big life decision, just taking a moment to think, right, is this what I want or is this what I think I should want? I think that's guided so much of my decisions. So that's another one. Do you know what? <laughs> the final one, and I don't know why this has came to me, but it's actually just not to take it all too seriously. <laughs> Um, you know, at the end of the day, we and you know, let's get a bit existential about it. But at the end of the day, we are funny little skinny apes on a rock hurtling around the sun. And the fact that we even exist is one of the most extraordinary things. And this is a daily practice that I have to remind myself of this. Not only is it completely bonkers that we exist, but to have been born in a time where, yes, it's pretty mental at the moment, but to be born in a time where generally things are peaceful is so incredibly extraordinary and so when you have that perspective you can kind of just see the absurdity in it and so just take things with a bit of lightness it's all a bit absurd if you really look at it and you know we can play the game of life and we can get lost in our own lives um so much that we lose that perspective we think we're all very important people and doing important things and we are we are we are to some extent but also we're just playing, you know, it's just a, it's just a play. And so I, that's something that really underpins, I think, I, I suppose it helps me be a positive person as well, because then nothing gets to me too much. Sometimes, I mean, I say that sometimes it does, but that would be my, my third thing. I can't remember what they all are, but that's, that would be my third thing. <laughs> no, that's, um, and what a beautiful way to start to sort of summarize. And uh, the sense I got was almost um, consciousness observing life. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful way to put it. Consciousness observing life while simultaneously being a part of it. 100%. As always. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, look, it's um, it's been so wonderful to spend a bit of time with you and also to learn with you and, and from you. And, and I can't wait for our community and, and the world at large to actually hear Chloe's philosophy is what's in my <laughs> oh, mind. So I'm going to say it because it's beautiful. No, it's beautiful. Um, own it. Own it. You've got lots of special gifts. Life has, has given you lots of wisdom and, and it's wonderful to hear you impart it. And it's great to see. I know you do lots of LinkedIn lives. and I know we didn't deep dive on that at some point. I'd love you to share that with the community because I've seen you playing with that. And I'm sure there's lots you've learned from that. But um, I think that's a, a really lovely point for us to kind of pause uh, this conversation but is there anything else you would like to share before we press stop on this recording I think just like a massive gratitude for you holding this space for me to ramble on for such a long time and it's so lovely because I didn't mean today I've talked about connecting dots but I've connected dots with parts of my own life 
that's a real privilege to have been given the space to do that Um, because sometimes coaching can be quite functional and although this wasn't a coaching session necessarily the elements of it and so yeah thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that and learn as well wonderful and then just one practical thing because I'm not always good at practical Chloe so if people (laughs) want to connect with you where can they find you in the the social sphere and the digital sphere yeah so most of my activity is on LinkedIn so Chloe Garland is my full name and if you want to send me an email my email is chloe at quarter-life.co.uk or my website is www.quarter-life.co.uk so drop me a message on there if you'd like to Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chloe. Thank you. Now, this is a message for anybody who thinks that life coaching might be the right calling for you, but you're not sure how to attract new clients. So on the 17th of April, we will be having our next Mo Digital Academy. Keely Vuong White, the founder of Kia Ora Coaching, is going to be talking to us about how to attract clients as a new life coach, a 90 minute long introduction to marketing. Now, she's had a fantastic life and has spent 15 years in international corporate marketing and has also learned a thing or two about setting up a business and she's also done her coaching with the Mo Foundation. So she's going to be running a fantastic workshop. We hope to see you there. If you're interested and you'd like to register then please find more information on our website that's mofoundation.com forward slash calendar. Thanks so much and we will see you there.